If you would, turn with me to Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, after our short hiatus for our Advent services. We're going to read today Exodus chapter 20, verses uh, 1 through 17. Just making sure. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. I trust that you've had a great holiday season and a happy new year so far. We're going to jump back, right back into Exodus um, this week, and we're going to jump back into the Ten Commands. I I'm not going to spend a lot of time or any time reviewing today. Uh, If you want to know what uh, happened over the last few weeks of Exodus to get sort of back in the game, go to VintageDeSoto.com or go to anywhere that you get your podcast and you can find uh, our sermons. Here's the deal. I really think you should listen to the Ten Commandments sermons. If you've missed one or if you haven't heard any, you should listen to them. Um, Not because I think there's anything special about me, but I think that the law of the Lord uh, is good, and it, it revives the soul. The, the testimony of the Lord is true. And so you should listen to these because I think um, there is some great principles and thoughts that come from the Word of God uh, and not from me, God's servant. Um, but I want, you to, I want you to go and look at those if you can, um, or listen to those if you can, but I, I want to just go on today. Uh, we probably could make a couple of sermons out of this short text today, <clears throat> but we're only going to do 
one. I probably can squeeze it in to the time uh, so that you can all go to lunch at a reasonable hour. But our verse today is, is actually it's the shortest of the Ten Commands. Now, I know in the past I've said, well, this is the longest of the Ten Commands, so this is a reason why it's important. I'm going to be somewhat hypocritical and say, just because this is the shortest of the Ten Commands doesn't mean that it's one of the least important or that it's not important. This command today is actually two Hebrew words, one that is quite difficult to pronounce, so I'm just going to do my best. Uh, the two Hebrew words are lo ratzak, and it just means simply don't kill. It's two words, don't kill. It is interesting, there are a lot of debate about just what is meant by uh, this particular, uh, the second particular word, this kill. Uh, in order to answer some of those questions, um, I'm going to do some things a little bit differently today. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I believe is not breaking the sixth command. Uh, a few things that I believe is not breaking the sixth command. And then I'm going to, we're going to discuss on uh, a few things that are breaking the sixth command and, and how we can sort of change that and keep uh, that uh, command. Um, and so hopefully we'll do this and, and it'll give some clarity on just exactly what God is commanding in command uh, number six. It seems pretty straightforward, but as time goes on and the years goes, go on and the value of life is demeaned to nothing, uh, it's not nearly as straightforward as, as it has been. The word for kill here is used much differently than many other words for ending life in Hebrew. So ending life in the Hebrew language. Excuse me. Um, it is not used in the legal system or in a military sense. The word ratzak is not used in a military sense. It's not used for legal killing. It's not used for execution of a death sentence. Or, in other words, it's not used for death in military combat. A brief study of the word will inform you that the command is not forbidding killing on all levels, as a matter of fact. It is forbidding unlawful killing of human life. Therefore, this is premeditated taking of an innocent life. It is deliberately killing an enemy. Uh, it is voluntarily, voluntary, in some case involuntary, manslaughter, and it includes even crimes of passion. Some of these obviously break the Ten Commandments. But even involuntary manslaughter, um, um, the negligence that comes behind that has been proven to be one of these things that breaks the Ten Commandments. There is a command in Deuteronomy that if you're, uh, I think it's an ox, I forgot, I probably should have written it down. If your ox tramples your neighbor, uh, you are not guilty of the blood of your neighbor. But if your ox is known for trampling your neighbor, and, or it's known for hurting or being dangerous or being wild, and you don't put the beast to death, <coughs> then not only in the first instance just the beast was put to death, but in the second instance the beast and you will be put to death. Suicide and assisted suicide or euthanasia are all acts of breaking 
the sixth command of God. I want to mention the last two ways that we can break the sixth command of God. Now, I've already mentioned many that are more obvious, and we won't discuss those. Premeditated murder, voluntary manslaughter, some cases of involuntary manslaughter, and other more obvious things we know. But because of our murderous culture that does not value life, there are two less obvious that we need to discuss that throughout church history would have been understood by all Christianity but are not so much today. The first is this, murder of the heart. Murder of the heart. Matthew 5, 21 through 22 says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. We can murder someone in our hearts if we hate a person. If our actions treat them as practically dead or we wish they were dead. Yes, physical murder is worse, but murder of the heart is not better. I think often Christians believe that this is something that they can separate from their spiritual life. That they can hold this type of enmity for people and still be fine spiritually, which is not the case. In a commentary I used in prepping for this sermon, the author told a story of Two-Gun Crowley, who was charged with a string of homicides, including cop killing. He was hunted down and killed by police, and in his pocket the police found a blood-soaked note. It read, Under this coat is a weary heart, but a kind one, one that would do nobody any harm. Of course, as someone who did some harm, this was self-deception. But we are all guilty of this self-deception. We think that our hearts are innocent, that we have done nothing wrong. Yet, <coughs> excuse me, yet we hate people in our hearts and we wish vile things upon them. And the truth is, I've met Christians along the way who were serial killers of the heart, leaving a pile of corpses along the way, who truly believed that they could walk in the Spirit of God with hate and anger in their heart and they could have a right heart. Often Christians have hate for their fathers and their mothers or siblings or spouses or people who have harmed them in the past. We often, are, we often perpetuate serial killing of the heart. And often we are perpetual serial killers of the heart. Never giving the grace we need or receiving the peace that we need to be able to move on. Murder of the heart may seem like something to overlook, but it is vastly important for several reasons. One of those is that the guilt of that hate will never leave you until it's dealt with. That hate and that guilt and that resentment will never leave you until it's dealt with. That hate will fester in you. It will affect every relationship you have. If you have been harmed by a boyfriend or a girlfriend of the past, you must deal with that hate before entering into another relationship, especially marriage. Because that hate will negatively affect any future relationship until it is under control by the Spirit of God, by His grace, by His mercy. If you have hate for authority, for family, or a friend, or a past friend, that hate will eat at you until it's under control. Hate and deep resentment is murder, according to 1 John 3.15. And a reckless word pierces like a sword, according to Matthew 12.18. And what you say when you interact with people will be a measure of what your heart says, according to Matthew 12. For out of the overflow of the heart does the mouth 
speak. You can't have hate towards another race and love towards God. You can't have hate towards your spouse, your parents, your children, or other family and love towards God. You can't have hate towards former friends and strangers or elected officials and have love towards God. On some level, this even applies to our enemies. Are you a murderer? Do you hold hate in your heart? Do you say things that pierce like a sword? Do you have an enemy that you are out to get or someone that you wish to make pay? Do you ever get so angry that you are out of control that you wish someone is dead? Then we have all, you and we have all been guilty of being murderers at heart. Continued hatred, friends, and this is vastly important. Continued hatred is a sure sign of an unrepented heart and often an unsaved life. But there is hope at the cross of Christ who took on the anger and resentment of the world at Mount Calvary so that we may have life. So that we can lay our hate, we can lay our anger, and we can lay our resentment at His feet. And along with the wrath, he can take those sins and he can remove them from our lives. And he can replace it with joy and peace and grace and mercy and love and kindness and gentleness and affection and understanding and contentment. Murder of the heart is overlooked only because it is so commonly perpetuated by God's people. If God's people were serious about sin, they would be serious about mortifying their heart instead of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Mortifying the murder of their heart instead of their brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to touch on one more subject and We'll leave on this today, and this has been one that is commonly accepted throughout history, but has come up for debate in many Christian circles. And I would like to say this, you can disagree with me on this, but you will be unequivocally wrong. And you will be supporting sin in the way you act. Abortion is murder. You need to hear me, because this is an objective and absolute truth of the Bible. Abortion is objectively and always murder under all circumstances. You would think this would be pretty easy to see or pretty easy to understand that even Christians, especially Christians, would be able to accept this. But in most Christian times, or most recent times, there has been much debate about women's choice and it's a woman's body and all of these issues, which I can understand where it comes from. I can see where it comes from. But can I tell you something more important than the rights and the laws we have? Innocent life. An innocent life trumps any right we have. And that is just what that thing is in the woman's body. It's a child It has been widely accepted and still is widely accepted by the vast majority of truthful scientists that life begins at conception. That it may not be a baby that you can hold, but it is a life. So any abortion is taking a life. Now I want to give you some helpful observations on abortion and some objectives, uh, some objections surrounding abortion. Now these are helpful observations 
These first two, the first one, you don't have to adopt. It's just one I've adopted. The rest, you do. Birth control can end life. Anna and I chose a long time ago for her to stop using birth control. And that's not why we have four children. We planned all of our children, okay? Anna and I decided a long time ago for her to stop using birth control. We started reading on the boxes and found that birth control can kill a fertilized egg, which we knew was life. And so we didn't want to be a part. Even We didn't want to skirt the line of ending a life. So we are convicted that we did what was right. Now, not all female birth control does this. So you can do some research and find maybe some, if you're convicted about this also, that is helpful. There are, firms, there are forms of birth control that I think are acceptable, like a vasectomy, or other forms of protection that will not allow the egg to be fertilized. But we are highly, this is just a thought surrounding this abortion idea, we are highly convicted in my family that birth control can potentially end life, and so we didn't want to be a part of that. Something, some things that are more objective. Taking the plan B pill or any other pill like it is the exact same thing as abortion. Taking the plan B pill will definitively kill a fertilized egg, which kills life and is murder. That's it. That's all I have to say on that, but you need to know it. Often there are objections, objections to pro-life people uh, for the sake of women, and I get it. I understand it. It is compassionate to think about uh, women in poverty. It's compassionate to think about women in other instances. And I want to look at a few of those right now, just briefly. One of the objections typically is, what if the doctor says the baby is going to die or the mother is going to die? This is the most difficult one for me uh, because I've always said, I can produce another baby, but I can't produce another Anna. The truth is, I hope that I would be. I hope that I and my wife would be willing to trust in the Lord when it concerns the health of my wife and any anyone else for that matter. That I would trust in His will for my life. That we are not the Lord of our lives. That we are not in control of our lives or any other life. I think of it this way: when it when it pertains to this instance. Would it be okay if I was driving my car one day and somehow had the choice between driving my car off of a bridge and ending my life or driving into a crowd of pedestrians and ending their lives? Would it be okay if I chose to, ch- to drive through the crowd of pedestrians and end their lives? My, my, my answer is no. My answer is that the honorable person always chooses his life over the life of others when it comes to to that choice. A person who values life would choose their own to end before they chose to end the life of someone else. There's another objection. What if the baby will grow up in extreme poverty? A lot of children that are aborted are, they grow up in They would grow up in poverty. They would grow up in horrible situations. This is a common objection. A Christian feminist, Rachel Held Evans, tweeted out recently, imagine the babies, this is not the exact tweet, but this is the gist of the tweet. Imagine the babies of color that abortion has saved from growing up in extreme poverty. Now, those those weren't her exact words. That was her sentiment. Friends, 
It is racist and it is evil to assume that taking a life from this earth is worse than giving a, lot, giving a child a chance to live because they would grow up in poverty, because they would grow up in single-family homes. It is racist and it is evil to think of that perspective, to choose, if to, to make that a parameter for how you choose life. There's another objection, and this one is one of my, if there is a favorite objection here, this is one of my favorite objections here because I have an answer to this. What about the person who was raped? Are you willing to tell me that you want to take a baby if it would be a constant reminder of that incident, that you'd always be reminded of that rape? First, we know that compiling wrongs is never the right answer. You know, you've always heard since you were a child, two wrongs don't make a right. But I want to tell you a story, and if you thought this way in the past, maybe this story will change your mind. The story is of Nellie Elizabeth Amos. Nellie Elizabeth Amos was a a single woman alone in a city with not very many friends, not, uh, not many people to rely on. Nellie went on a a date, and this is a true story, by the way, and Nellie was raped on that date, and on that date, she conceived a child through that rape interaction. Eventually, she decided to keep that child, whereas there were other options available. You know, as um, more left-leaning people would say, back-alley abortions. There were options available for her, though. Nellie decided to keep that child. She eventually, through another series of events that we can talk about later, gave that child up for adoption. That child's name was, excuse me, that child eventually grew up and he was uh, a master electrician, a Christian, a deacon at his church. A father, a husband, father of four sons. His oldest son is a pastor and Little Rock, Arkansas, one of his sons became a policeman. His son had a son. That son is a pastor of a church in Mississippi. The man that was aborted or adopted, his name was Charles William Holbrook. His son, Bruce Holbrook. His son, Bryce Holbrook. Tell me that living with that matters more than the life that it can produce. Tell me that the inconvenience that a child born of rape will cause you matters more than the life it will produce. If you hate me, there's not a person in this room that can't stand my dad. Tell me your life hasn't been positively affected by Bruce Holbrook or the lives that were affected by my grandmother who was a saint and a volunteer. A Christian woman who raised up Christian sons. Tell me your life isn't affected when you make decisions to end other life. Friends, we must do all that we can to avoid breaking the sixth command. Because the Spirit in us gives us sensibilities and, and compassion and love. 
He gives us the, this idea that human life is precious because all human life is created in the image of God. And that human life is worth saving and worth fighting for. I want to ask you, you, you may not be faced with any of these six command breakings. You might not be faced with those issues in life. But I want to ask you, what are you doing to help? What are you doing to help make the decision to keep a child as opposed to abort a child easier for a woman in poverty or a woman who was raped? Where do you volunteer that says you're pro-life? Where do you give your money that says you're pro-life? What are your ideas on fostering an adoption that say you're pro-life? We could be like those that saw the Samaritan man on the side of the street and chose to pass him by because we have other things to do. We have church things and other religious activities we're a part of. We can be like the one who picked him up and saw the value in this life, this different life, this vastly unimportant life to most of that person's peers. And he brought it, he restored it, he renewed it. Friends, when we understand that we're not just to just skirt obeying the Ten Commands, but we're to flee from them, we also understand our responsibility to help others along the way. It is only by the grace of God through His Son that we can be preserved from these things. It is only by the grace of God through His Son that hate and evil has left our heart and love and joy and peace has been replaced in its place. Trust in the Lord. He will give you the strength to be a person of love, a person of peace, a person who chooses right over evil. Pray with me today. God, you are good and you are holy. And we can trust in your commands because they come from you and what comes from you is good And what comes from you is unlike anything else that this earth could formulate or plan. God, we trust you and we love you. We pray that you would give us a better sense of the sanctity of life in all areas of our life. Not just the sanctity of uh, newborn or unborn life, but the sanctity of black life, Mexican life, the sanctity of Muslim life, the sanctity of human life. That we would be people who honor you by not only obeying the sixth command, but by pursuing the higher things that you have called us to. Compassion and mercy and love and kindness and gentleness. Just simple humanity. Lord, help it never to be said about Christians that we get the theology right, but we get the humanity wrong. Lord, we love you so much. We praise you and we ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.